Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and today we got a smorgasbord of topics from Skywalker Sound using Macs and their audio setup. We have some interesting news about voice assistants. Some may be using your data for advertising, and we'll get some 1Password and password app updates. This episode is brought to you by Vogue Duo. They make great GAN chargers for your devices. We'll talk about them in a moment. And joining me this week, back from across the pond, my friend William Gallagher. How's it going, William? Yeah, actually, it's kind of going a bit warily, to be fair, because... Warily? Yeah, I've been listening, and you've been talking about this Wikipedia page you found about me. But you've done that now, <laughs> okay. haven't you? We can move on. Yeah. No, no, no. Now I finally get to address it with you directly. First of all, <laughs> I was trying to find a high-quality image of you, because in the Apple Podcast app, if you scroll down to our show page, it now has wonderful pictures of the different hosts... You're on there, Wes, Mike, myself. Our pictures are there, which is very cool. Some of our recent guests as well. You'll see the full pictures, which is really cool. But in finding this picture, when I Googled your name, I saw a William Gallagher Wikipedia page, something no, no, that no, I no, envy. No, no, One day no, I hope no, I hope to get a Wikipedia no, no. page. <laughs> just stop right there. If you just wanted a photograph, you could have asked me, but no, you were stalking me I did. online. That's I did. what you was going on. No, no. I was right here. You sent me some. I have press images. You sent me some low res, two hundred pixel, uh, like postage stamp uh, image. So no, I went for the high quality stuff. Oh, sorry, that was a mistake. Um, I've some shots from the Writers Guild uh -huh, that uh -huh. I actually look reasonable in it. They're mostly the back of my head, but they look better. So uh. Uh, we should talk. <laughs> okay. No, no, your picture on this Wikipedia page is very good. Very, it's like black and white. You look, I don't know, you look artsy and artistic. But anyway, I just have some questions here. Um, looking through this Wikipedia page. <laughs> it has some writing credits for things like Doctor Who? Yes. Have you written for like Doctor Who stuff? I wrote Doctor Who radio dramas for Big Finish and the BBC. And that's why there's a Wikipedia oh. page about me. You can't breathe out in the same okay. postcode as Doctor Who without someone doing a Wikipedia, Wikipedia page on you. So I know that's how it started. But I got to admit, I was actually very impressed uh, it's mostly accurate as well. And um, yeah, one of my editors yeah. told me that I'd have, I, yeah, I'm sure he said they had a phone call from some Wikipedia editor checking that I was the same person who did some. I did not know Wikipedia was that thorough. I was really quite impressed. Oh, it was yeah. very thorough. In your bio, at the very last paragraph, it says he is presently doing the same, meaning Apple-centric reviews and other features, at appleinsider.com. And I was hoping maybe in that final line, it would include something like, and co-host the Apple Insider podcast with Stephen Robles. And maybe I would have a chance of being on <laughs> Wikipedia, but but not yet. It, it does not mention me or the Apple Insider podcast at all. But that's fine. This is a very impressive Wikipedia page. Do you know how to find out who has been editing a page? Is there one person out there whose oh. quite dull job is looking after my page? <laughs> or is it just whoever goes on by? I think it can be crowdsourced. Like you can create an account and submit changes. I think there's maybe some review process. And so, you know, multiple people can add stuff to a Wikipedia page. So I think not anyone, anyone, but I think you can go through a process of being approved to create and edit Wikipedia pages. But I was just very impressed. I was pretty, you got all these credits here. You got a nice photo, mentions Apple Insider. So it's very cool. I, I, so my question to you is, William, are you in fact famous? Are you a famous person? Uh, how can you possibly check? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, you are. Yes, you I are. I didn't know it included Apple Insider. So it's fairly up to date, isn't it? That's very impressive. 
I think. Yeah, except for this podcast, but whatever. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. We got lots of stuff to talk about, so let's jump into it. Do want to give some shout outs. We had some five star reviews. SL41 from the USA, Braden from Nova Scotia, Canada, Big Boo from the United Kingdom. I think he's good friends with William Gallagher, Big Boo, <laughs> and Rousey1973 from the USA. Thank you for those five star reviews. Very cool. I wanted to mention this real quick. It was Star Wars Day earlier this week, May the 4th. You know, if you don't get the pun, you know, May the Force, May the 4th. It's a pun. Anyway, Apple actually released a video behind the scenes of how Skywalker Sound, who does the sound for the Star Wars movies, uses Mac devices in their studio. The video's pretty incredible. You really get behind the scenes of like their server room and how they have their stuff connected together. They have 130 Mac Pros rack mounted in this studio, which is incredible. You know, if you were wondering who's buying those Mac Pros, well, Skywalker Sound bought 130 of the rack mounted versions in case you were wondering. And it's actually impressive. They have equipment to sync those Mac Pros together. So when they are in the editing room or even in the screening room, they can control those computers and the playback of all the stuff in there. So it's really cool. They show some of the Foley work, which is how they make some of the sound effects. And they basically like drop a bunch of metal things to make some sound effects and like make a mic do feedback by a speaker for lightsaber sounds. Very cool. They basically have a bunch of Mac computers. They have some Mac minis running Pro Tools, all this kind of stuff. It was very cool just to see some of the behind the scenes for that. Do you see any of those images of that video? Oh, yeah. I it's, it's so well made. It's riveting. And the sheer joy of the people working there, it's just <laughs> yes. tremendous. Here in the UK, there used to be a, quite a cheesy show called Heartbeat. Uh, a police comeuppance drama set in a village, all this sort of happy stuff set in the 60s. And uh, when it been made, uh, 90s, I think, even then, the editors had a shared iTunes library with every 1960s track they had. And as they got to a bit that had somebody on a bicycle, they'd search for the keyword bicycle, pull up the tune, pop it into the show and move on. I felt Skywalker Sam was a little more precise, <laughs> just a little bit more concerned. That's pretty legit. They're pretty legit. So well, anyway, that was cool. We'll put a link in the show notes. You can watch that video. Also, we actually got a little bit more information about WWDC. Apple announced that starting May 9th, which is next week, as you listen to this episode, developers can actually apply to attend the June 6th keynote from WWDC in person. It's still not clear where they're actually going to be doing the screening or where people who go in person will be watching the event, the keynote video. Because again, it's not a live presentation. These developers are basically going to watch the keynote and the State of the Union address with other developers and Apple staff, employees, presumably. There's also going to be developer-only special events that they will be able to do in person at Apple Park. So still interested, are they going to do this outside by the Rainbow Courtyard in the middle of the Spaceship Campus? Are they going to do it in the Steve Jobs Theater? So still don't know for sure, but you can apply to be a part of it. You know, I have a developer account, William. Maybe I should apply. You think they'd let me go? Why not? I, I had a... I... <laughs> I suddenly thought I was certain, absolutely certain, that what I'd heard was that there was a new developer center at Apple Park. But maybe I've just misheard, and it's this this is the new developer program uh, for it. If there is a new center, and, and I'm starting to think there is, maybe that's where this screening will be. But I love the idea of it being in the Steve Jobs Theater, because at one point, surely the video will show uh, Tim Cook in the Steve Jobs Center. So you'll be in the center watching the center. I love that kind of meta kind of oh you're just looking at me now no 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 i like it yeah it's gonna be tim cook could be sitting next to you as you watch tim cook on screen inside the steve jobs theater well, who you might mention steve jobs you never know triple meta so i'm looking at the actual announcement from apple and they said i'm just gonna read this verbatim gather with others in the developer community to watch the keynote and state of the union videos alongside apple engineers and experts 
explore the all-new developer center. So there is some kind of physical developer center and so much more. This celebration marks the start of an inspiring week of sessions, labs, and lounges. All right, well, there you go. So I used to live next to uh, a film studio that had five stages, and outside the front door there was a pub that everybody called Stage Six. I bet the developer centre is the secret name for the bar at Apple Park. Uh. It would fit, <laughs> wouldn't it? There we go. <laughs> nice. It's very nice. All right, also behind-the-scenes look, YouTuber iJustine, she's been covering Apple for such a long time. She's got you know millions of subscribers on YouTube, but she got to do a behind-the-scenes tour of the Apple Fitness Plus studio. Most of the video is her talking to some of the Apple Fitness people and uh, the VP of Fitness and kind of just talking about the program. But we did get a couple shots behind the scenes of the live production room that they use to film the actual Apple Fitness Plus workouts. And it's pretty wild. Like if you're familiar with video production, they have a multi-view where you see the different cameras. And they also have a system showing where heart rate and activity rings will be displayed on screen so that those doing the camera movements and switching will know not to put things where the activity rings or heart rate might be. The cameras are mostly robotic. So the control room for the switching and the filming and all that, they control the cameras remotely. So there's a minimum number of people in the actual fitness studio. So pretty cool. You know, it's wild to think that Apple has legit video production studios where they're doing, you know, live switching and recording Mm. for their own stuff. And actually, this is not in Apple Park. This is in Uh, Santa Monica. Yeah, Santa Monica is where the studio is. It's deeply impressive uh, setup. I mean, the production is just perfect. It's I think you don't appreciate it until you see someone else's workout video, just how precisely well done Apple does. I mean, taste, talent, it's uh, incredibly impressive outfit, I think. Yeah, and I think with this kind of special behind-the-scenes feature, Wes and I talked about what are we going to see at WWDC. I could see them pushing more into that Fitness Plus service. I've talked about they can add kind of ongoing workout tracks, like 100-day, 150-day program so you can actually kind of follow one program for an extended period of time maybe some new workouts i mean they're adding new workouts all the time and group classes i think would be the big feature to take on the likes of peloton where you can actually do a live workout with others using some kind of facetime share play you know a live broadcasted which you know now that i think about it that setup that they use to record the fitness plus workouts could easily be used for a live streamed workout so you can tune in at a specific time you know say 10 a.m eastern or probably more like 1 or 2 p.m eastern 10 a.m pacific and do a workout with a live instructor knowing that there's so many other people also tuning in and i don't know that'd be pretty cool i think that would make it an attractive option for those that like the group workout scenarios but actually even recording ones already have the uh the fitness bar showing your uh state compared to other people who have taken uh the current thing i always seem to be in the middle oh, i don't know i never go below the middle but i never get any higher either. so maybe it's just stuck you know <laughs> okay you know i like do that. i'll be honest though i do get little notifications on my apple watch sometimes william that it says william completed a workout i see you doing stuff over there well what do you what do you do when you do a fitness plus workout what are your preferences i'm sorry you're breaking up there um no can't, you can't deny can't. this i get the notification uh, unless you're strapping it to some animal and it's running around london <laughs> I got to imagine you're doing something. Yeah. Um, you doing, uh, I know you're in a secret bunker with MI6, so I don't want to. Because you stalk me for photographs. You could be tracking my fitness. This is getting Out rather scary. Searching the internet. That's... Next, you'll no, be no, using that's my not air tags. Oh, no, no. Oh, not even getting into that. We talked so much about <laughs> that. No air tag. No air tag talk. All right. So I do want to mention this Apple Store Union thing. We haven't talked a lot about it on the show, but it's getting close to this one Apple store, it's Cumberland Mall in Atlanta, Georgia, where there's about 107 workers 
that are wanting to form a union, mostly to raise that starting pay for Apple employees. 70% of the workers at this store have signed cards of support, plan to file a petition with the National Labor Relations Board. They are mostly wanting the starting pay, which is right now $20 at this particular store, to increase to $28, claiming that for a single parent in Atlanta, Georgia, it really should be $31 as starting pay. So they're not even asking for $31, they're wanting $28. So this vote is going to be happening on June 2nd. You know, whether or not it's actually going to move forward, we'll find out more then. Reminder that Apple has hired the same law firm that Starbucks used to discourage union formation. They've hired that law firm to kind of squelch this effort. But if it does move forward in this one store, it's going to set an interesting precedent for other Apple stores. And, you know, I was thinking about this. It's an interesting problem for Apple specifically. Like when you look at the other technology companies, Google does not have stores where they have to deal with retail uh, employee workforce. Microsoft, they've shuttered their stores, so they don't have physical stores anymore. Amazon, you could say does have Whole Foods and they do have a couple of their Amazon grocery stores. But when it comes to the tech arm of Amazon, you know, there's not really like a retail force for that. You get an Echo on Amazon, like from their website, or you go to Best Buy, Target, and you buy their devices there. So I do feel like this is a uniquely Apple problem that has a very large retail workforce specifically selling Apple products. And, you know, I, I don't have a lot of experience or knowledge on unions specifically. So and I'll throw to you, William. Do you have any thoughts or insight into this? Yes. I'm a member of the Writers Guild here in Great Britain. I'm about to stand again to be deputy chair of it. So I am very pro-unions. And uh, pay is one thing. And of course, that's important. And of course, any company app rather will try to keep it low and workers need it to be higher. There's always going to be that battle. But uh, there's also conditions. And we know from the Apple II campaign that have been some foul situations in Apple retail around the world. And clearly, Apple management isn't fixing it. Maybe a union would help. So I'm very pro the unions. I Good luck to them. Okay. Well, there you go. Sonos, which is the maker of the smart speakers, they make soundbars, they make the wireless speakers like whole home audio. They support AirPlay too. So we actually talk about them a lot on the HomeKit Insider podcast, which we talk about this specifically on Monday's episode as well, if you want to tune into that. But Sonos is actually coming out with their own voice assistant. It will be, hey, Sonos. It will be just for the Sonos, you know, sound and audio devices. It will work with things like Apple Music, Deezer, Amazon Music, not support for Spotify or YouTube Music just yet. I guess they're working on that. But William, I saw this and I was like, I just don't, I don't think the world needs another voice assistant. I don't know. I mean, I would take a William Gallagher, hey, William voice assistant, <laughs> but I don't think, I don't think we need another Sonos one. What do you think about this? No, no. <laughs> no Deep thoughts, really. William Gallagher. No. Actually, six volumes of thoughts going through my head then about how irritating Alexa and recently Siri have been as well. I love Siri, but it's been driving me spare just in the last few days over some things. So maybe a new friend coming along would sort it out, but I'm never going to buy a Sonos <laughs> uh, speaker, so I'll never know. And I'm, I'm shut out from all of that. Now, I am actually getting a Sonos speaker for the new house. I'm getting the Sonos Arc for a... a home theater type setup in one of the rooms because I didn't want to do a bunch of, mm. you know, five individual wired speakers, although I'm doing that in a different room. But anyway, <laughs> I do have a Sonos Arc. Sonos are very popular. Uh, they are 
pretty uh, pricey depending on what model you go with. Although they are announcing a lower end soundbar for $249 called the Sonos Ray. Again, we talk about that on HomeKit Insider, but I found an interesting, another voice assistant. I'm not sure if we need it. And this is also on the heels, which I thought this was, this was very poignant. Amazon and its voice assistant, Alexa, which you just mentioned, The Verge actually reported that Amazon and third parties, including advertising and tracking services, does collect data from your interactions with Alexa through Echo Smart Speakers and share it with as many as 41 advertising partners. Ouch. And that data is then used to infer user interests, serve targeted ads on platform, both on the Echo devices and off platform, like on the web. And apparently this type of data, the voice assistant data is in hot demand. This is actually from the Verge report. They say that it leads to 30 time higher ad bids from advertisers because this data, I guess, is just better for that tracking, figuring out the interests of users. And Amazon did confirm with The Verge that they do use the voice data with Alexa interactions to inform relevant ads shown on Amazon and other sites. Now, again, we talk about this at length on HomeKit Insider. I feel like this is one of those things that plays into if you have friends and relatives who hand wavy, just say, I know my phone's listening all the time and whatever, like I've just accepted it. And typically me as someone who is a proponent of Apple devices and pretty confident they do not use that data for advertising, they will use it for diagnostic purposes. And now you do get that pop-up when you set up like a HomePod or if you're setting up Siri for the first time on an iPhone or iPad, it'll say, do you want to share audio recordings to help Apple make the product better? And you can say no, you can say no, don't share my audio recordings. But apparently uh, with Alexa devices, your voice recordings, at least when you interact with the device, it is not saying that it's listening all the time, as a lot of people, I think, kind of assume it's just always listening. It's not that case. But when you do interact with it and you say the wake word and whatever you say during those commands, Amazon is using what you say for advertising, sharing that with advertising partners, and will even customize advertisements on the web with that data. Goodness. Yeah, this is the world we live in now, William. I mean, you knew. It's just, I winced at 41. I had no idea. Oh, you can't knock Amazon. If they're going to do something, at least do it thoroughly, I suppose. But <laughs> Sure. I just wrote a thing about um, a possible Apple Car patent application that would have Siri understand when you say, take me to the gardening store, that it would look for the local one and take you to it and i was thinking apple Maps, siri it'll be which is the closest uh which is open now things like that and if it was alexa it would be something like who which grocery store which gardening store has paid me to drive somebody nearby and uh, somehow it seems worse the car taking you an extra five miles around just to pass an advertiser but yeah right okay. and you know i actually did see a tiktok video i think of someone who ordered an uber or a lyft i forget which one it was and it was a self-driving car that went to pick them up and so they got in the car no driver no one else in the vehicle there's a little screen on the back of the seat and you can say you know hello william this is your ride this is your destination are you ready to go you tap the screen and the car just drives itself away to your destination 
And listen, I've been to to London, William. I know all those the black cabs that scour the city. Uh, would you step into one of those if there was no driver and you just knew it was going to drive itself to your destination? Would you do that? No. No? You, no. you wouldn't trust That's it? That's the quality of information you're getting from me today. No. I hesitate because the, the first ever time I got into a Tesla for a test drive and the salesman was talking about how great it is. You don't have to... You, you have to watch the road, but not as much. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. Never going to take my eyes off that road. We're on a motorway. It's really fast. And then he said, and this is the button for Radio 4. And I went... Oh, I'd have a look at that. And suddenly realized I was not paying any attention to the road at all. Fair, that quickly trusted the car. So maybe. Maybe. This, if I knew I was getting it, I can think we're going to get used to this, but it would be disturbing. I mean, yeah, particularly in London with the knowledge and the traffic and the situations around there. Did the person get to where they were going? Oh, they didn't include <laughs> They didn't include that in the video. Suspicious. Uh, they just did the beginning. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I think they're still alive. I think they're still making videos that just didn't conclude that one. Okay. So, you know, I would want to try it in maybe a more rural area before I do like highway driving or or like Manhattan city driving. But mm. I don't know. I would I would try it. I would try it. But anyway, the voice assistant thing with Alexa, you know, I've we literally do HomeKit Insider podcast because we believe that HomeKit is one of the best when it comes to privacy and security as far as smart home devices. And I think this re-emphasizes that point. You know, the Amazon Assistant does have many more device compatibility and works with things like smart faucets and other things that HomeKit just does not work with yet, just does not have direct control. It can do some of those things, but, you know, I saw this one faucet. This is only because we're, you know, building a new house. There's actually a faucet that integrates with Amazon's Assistant where you can tell it to fill a pot with a certain amount of water, like fill it with four cups of water, fill it with eight cups of water, and it will literally, the faucet will turn on, fill it with eight cups, and then turn itself off. So you don't have to measure it. It's just all automated. It's like, man, that's pretty cool, but... Uh, I'm good. Like, I just don't think I'm going to have an Alexa anywhere. I, th- I think I'm good. Do you have any Alexas? I don't want to make you feel bad. I do. I have one Alexa. Well, my wife, Andrew, has given it as a present. And actually, the other day, it did suddenly remind her that she has occasionally ordered, I can't remember what it was, something she's bought a couple of times over the years. Um, might you want that again? Well, that was a right. surprise. <laughs> she told it no yeah. quite firmly. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me unless spoken to. How about that, Echo? <laughs> Let's do that. I'll tell you one thing, because we have a HomePod Mini and an Echo Dot thing next to the TV set. And so often, something on the TV will trigger the HomePod Mini. But it do- almost never triggers Alexa, because uh, Amazon has this uh, really clever thing of analyzing the frequency of the sound and knowing that it's on television and is not ah. uh, poisoned room. And so technically fascinating, but... You know, we didn't want whatever it was it wanted us to buy. It's also great at hearing when you want some cereal and it just uh, ships you some Cheerios and charges your card automatically. No, I'm just kidding. It does not do that. <laughs> and uh, I'm also curious if it will. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Are you laughing at the Cheerios? Uh, <laughs> There's a podcast called Cereal, isn't there? So, you know, you're trying to listen to oh, that and right, suddenly right. cornflakes, well, Cheerios, we Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's a very different cereal. I don't want to go there. That's That's a different kind of cereal. No, no information has come out about Google's assistant, like the Google Home devices. But I can only imagine if Amazon is doing this and how big advertising is a part of Amazon's business, Google even more so. I mean, their entire business model is basically advertising. I have to imagine this is happening there as well. But no reports have come out about the Google devices yet. So we'll have to wait and see. 
Is there, suddenly think there should be a Facebook smart assistant because surely they would want to do untoward. What, why do you want to watch the world burn? No, I, I want a Wikipedia assistant that just reads me William's Wikipedia page every night before I go to sleep. <laughs> I can just hear William's biography. Look, kid, I, yeah, it's very nice, <laughs> but I think you should stop now. You, you know, that you okay, need a yeah, little no, bit no, of help. We'll do that. Look at all the other okay, William okay, Gallagher's no, on there. Do. There's a baseball player or something uh, with my name. So, <laughs> or something. <laughs> you know, I'm now just thinking about this. When I was in elementary school, I actually had a friend. His name was Billy Gallagher. Oh, yeah. But obviously his first full name was William. I've known a William Gallagher for almost my entire life. That's something. It just popped into my head. Yeah. Anyway. Not, not not, really relevant, but just wanted to say so. I have never met anyone like you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> thought, throw that back at you. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Vogue Duo GAN Chargers. You know, we've talked about chargers on the show before. I have a couple GAN Chargers, but none that look as good as Vogue Duo's leather-covered chargers. Listen, it's nice to have some appealing stuff when you plug in your computer at a coffee shop or just for yourself when you're using it at home. It's nice to have good-looking power bricks, charging bricks. And Vogue Duo's leather chargers let you add some affordable luxury to make the day productive and delightful. And the great thing is these are small but powerful because they're GAN chargers. The Gilliam Nitride Charging allows you to have small bricks that are still high wattage. And these come in 65 and 100 watt charging bricks. You can optimize the high power and compact size, especially for your MacBook Pro and other Apple devices. And they put out less heat and take up much less space. The Vogduo chargers also have a portable design. They have the foldable plugs, which is really nice, so those prongs aren't just sticking out when they're in your bag. And there's cable management for mobility. And these chargers have extraordinary leather craftsmanship. It's rare to find in everyday electronics, especially with power bricks. I don't know of any other ones that do this. And it's bold and unique designs. I love these chargers. They also have multiple USB-C and USB-A ports, depending on what model you get. So you can charge multiple devices at once with these GAN chargers. I love it. It comes in 100 watt and 65 watt models. So here's what you do. There's links in show notes to both the 65 watt and 100 watt charger. Click those links and you can buy it from the Vogduo website. You can also go to vogduo.us, V-O-G-D-U-O.us. But click those links in the episode description and they will know that you came from the Apple Insider podcast. Our thanks to Vogduo for sponsoring this episode. So there was a big update to 1Password. 1Password 8 for Mac has now launched, completely redesigned, has some new features like working across apps, not just in the web browser and in the standalone app, but if you open an app on your Mac and there's a login window, 1Password can autofill it there, plus some other features. This was a controversial update when it was first announced because 1Password stated it's going to use Electron, which is a kind of developing platform that Slack uses where it's not a super native app. It's not, you know, written in Apple's like Objective-C, Cocoa, like all that kind of stuff. It is written in a more universal language and then Electron translates it to the different platforms. But I've downloaded it. I downloaded it on day one. I got 1Password 8 on my Mac. It is Electron, but I will say one, the design is really nice. I really love the redesign. It feels modern. It looks and feels like a Mac app when you open it. I do think that it has fixed some of the little bugs here and there. Using it in a web browser like Safari could be a little buggy previously where it wouldn't like activate. Sometimes I would have to open the full app in order to get the little toolbar extension to activate. That seems to have been fixed. It's much more reliable now. And it is even better on my 
iOS devices. The, the iOS apps, I don't think were updated recently. It seems to be working there as well. So anyway, I, I think I like it, you know, going to be using it for a long term, but I know you're a 1Password user mm. also, William. Did you upgrade to version 8? On one of my Macs, yes. I haven't got around to doing it on the other, just the one I was using on the day it came out. Uh, I haven't used it very much, but I do like the look of it. I worry about the Electron side, though, because I'm thinking... Uh, distant memory of one of the reasons Java didn't really take off was um, it was seen as this language that sat over whatever the platform was. And if you wrote to that, you wrote to every platform. But it meant you were kind of beholden to that. So it was out of your control. You were right. If Electron decides to go wrong or crash or something, then all of the apps are, are gone that would otherwise have worked. And I, I was I didn't think it was a terrible decision uh, to move to it, but I was disappointed when 1Password did it, particularly because the way they announced it was we started on the Mac, we're sticking to the Mac, we've got a new plan to work only for the Mac, except we're not, we're then doing it on the Electron from the iOS version. It felt like they were excusing moving to Electron and that kind of worried me. And uh, Slack is an Electron uh, app, as you mentioned, and Slack goes wrong uh, sometimes for no obviously good reason. So it feels like it's an abstraction layer that Presumably they had to do, but um, I'm kind of cautious. I will upgrade my other Mac um, as soon as I get five minutes. But no, actually, I know why. <laughs> because um, because I'm a one password seven user, the first thing that happens is it says, "Do you want to move your data over?" And of course, you say yes. And when I tried right. it, it stuck stuck there, stood there uh, with a screen saying, "Do not quit this app," waiting for the data to migrate. And after half an hour, oh goodness, I thought stuff this. I quit the app, started again, and then suddenly everything will work. <laughs> so you could actually say day one, minute one, first experience of an Electron app didn't work. So that's actually really quite scary. Now I've put that back in my head. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah, of that. Any yeah. kind of like hang up like that when it comes to your entire password database is a little scary. Yeah. And that's why, you know, again, my experience was fine moving to 1Password 8. I did it on two different Macs, Mac Studio, MacBook Pro. It was fine. I do save all my passwords in iCloud Keychain as well. And I've been putting my two-factor codes in iCloud Keychain. I like that idea of having both. I would recommend if you use 1Password, you know, you can export your entire database as a file and maybe you can literally print that out like physically and put it in a safe. That might be a good idea or at least save that file somewhere very secure, you know, not maybe like in Dropbox or something, like maybe some, some like on a hard drive and put that in a safe or something. But it's been good. You know, one little thing, I don't know if this is an up, a 1Password 8 update or whatever, but whenever I'm in a web browser and the little login fields, there would be that 1Password symbol right there. And before you would have to click it, it would tell you to do a keyboard shortcut which would open the 1Password extension and then you do your fingerprint or password and then you could sign in. And now whenever I click that in a website, it just prompts for a touch ID on the keyboard and it can authenticate right away. I don't have to do the keyboard shortcut anymore. So I don't know if that was a 1Password 8 update, but it is a welcome change. And so it's been working well, for sure. We still get that fight though, don't we? Oh yeah, You go sure. to a password field and it's Safari and 1Password going, no, 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 me, me, kind of for it. So I've got used to clicking around the side of one of the dialog boxes. Yeah. <laughs> It's very, very tedious, like a game of operation. You got to yes. just tap the yes. right autofill thing. But I just, I have not felt comfortable turning one of them off, you know, because if you turn no. off the iCloud keychain autofill, it's going to not save them, you know, when you yes. log in and I don't want to do that. So Same I'll here. deal with both of them active 
No problem. Not a problem. I will say Malcolm had a kind of roundup of all the different password apps with this one password update. Obviously, you have iCloud Keychain, but you also have LastPass, Dashlane, NordPass. You have a bunch of different password options out there. So if you do want to try different apps, you can do that. I'll put a link to this article. But I will say, I mean, really consider the Apple password, consider Apple's iCloud Keychain solution because it is very good. It does the two-factor authentication really well now. And you can create a little Siri shortcut. I have this. I'll put a link in the show notes to the shortcut so you can just download it. But you can have a shortcut that jumps you directly to the password screen in settings. So you don't have to like tap the settings app, scroll down, tap passwords, login. You can just do a one shortcut, even a home screen icon, and jump right to the password screen if you want to use it kind of like as your password app. So I will, I'm going to do it right now so I remember, but I will put that shortcut in the show notes. I'll use that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Along the password topic, it was actually last year at WWDC that Apple announced that it's working towards a future without passwords, that while iCloud Keychain will save logins and passwords, they're hoping that one day there'll be a pass key feature where your iCloud Keychain will just let you into the different websites that you have saved in this pass key and you won't have to deal with email and passwords or username and passwords anymore, that it'll be like kind of a hardware security key that will just authenticate you as you use that specific device. And there's other companies that are actually on board to doing this. I believe it's like Google. Microsoft as well. Yeah, they're big players in this. Yeah, so Microsoft, Apple, Google, you know, they're all in on this pass key thing. And it's Fido is the company for like, that is kind of trying to create the universal pass key that will go across platforms. Curious, I mean, I think in the future, I don't know how many years it'll be, but you might not have to deal with usernames and passwords anymore. It might just be whatever your device is, your iPhone, maybe your Apple Watch will kind of be your hardware pass key to everything. And it will just let you in as you use that device. That'd be a cool future. Except I read the announcement from Apple and Google and Fido and all this, and you go through and it says, of course you don't need passwords. Now we can do all sorts of things, touch ID, biometric stuff and all this. And it says it will be very simple. You'll just do this, your device, you can use a passcode, which means should biometric fail for any reason, you're down to a four or six digit passcode to enter it. And that seems Mm. substantially less secure than a password. So yeah, yeah, it's what's there's a line from Star Trek, isn't there? Uh, the more you overthink the plumbing, the easier it is to stop up the drain. Uh, as soon as you can have password uh, passcode access, yeah, forget the rest. Yeah, that's interesting. What is your? I'm not going to ask. What is your passcode <laughs> for the passcode on your iPhone? You know, you could do four digits. You could do six digits. You could do no passcode, which I do not recommend. Yeah. Or you can do an alphanumeric password, where you can use letters, numbers, and symbols to unlock your iPhone. Which do you do, William? Are you a four, six, or passphrase kind of guy? I'm a sixer. Um, mostly because yep. six, I, okay. I, I've been a four on the watch, and I'm happy enough with that. Six, okay. But uh, I know someone who's required to do the fuller one. And uh, I swear they've the, the phone she's been given, they block Touch ID as well. So the number of times she has to schlep through the most ridiculously contorted password uh, for it. I think I'll stick with six for the moment. So I'm playing it both sides here. Six isn't secure enough and it's good enough for me. So yeah. Yeah, I go with the alphanumeric oh. passkey on my iPhone and do the six digit on the Apple Watch. Oh, you know? And um, yeah, it's, sometimes it's annoying, like if Face ID stops working or if you have to restart your phone for any reason, but 
I don't know. I like the idea of it being a little longer, more secure. That's how I do. I actually, I didn't know that you could do six digits on the watch. I think, yeah. actually, I'm going to forget that I knew. Thank you very much anyway. Okay. <laughs> so update on the app removal. Apple announced that apps that have been in the App Store without any updates for a number of time, it was kind of unspecified at first, and now they've actually specified three years. If developers have an app in the App Store that is not updated in three years, that they will be removed from the App Store unless there is some kind of update made. And Apple has increased the deadline. They said originally, this is going to happen in 30 days, but there was kind of a developer outcry, like you're taking all of our stuff out of the App Store, what's the deal? Apple has extended that, so developers have 90 days to do at least some kind of update to their app if it's been untouched for three years. And I think Apple's, again, the privacy nutrition labels, which is something that was introduced, I believe it was iOS 14. If you haven't updated your app in over three years, it does not have those, the nutrition labels. So Apple's probably trying to get more apps to adopt that. But Apple also said that they're wanting apps to be updated to make sure they support the latest screen sizes and devices. Again, you know, three years ago, didn't have, you know, the iPad mini that we do now, that new model there. I'm not sure three years ago, Mm. I guess the iPhone 12 mini, that would have been after three years ago. So, you know, if your app was just three years ago, last updated, the iPhone mini was not out. So Apple is trying to say, we want to make sure that all apps support all the screen sizes, do all the stuff, probably want to get those nutrition labels in the app store as well. So developers have a little bit more time and it's extended to three years. I had actually thought if I were a developer, I'd just go in, I don't know, put a space at the end of the name, save it again and we were done. But you're right, you can't do that now. You have to add uh, nutrition labels and stuff. And it's uh, quite a faff going through the forms for it. So even just doing that is going to be quite a job, especially if you have a lot of apps. I mean, how long did it take Google to get around to doing all of its? Yeah, a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I thought this was fun. There's a young filmmaker that really makes excellent videos, films, and he was doing it on a 2018 MacBook Pro with a 512 SSD. And he was really struggling, especially with some of that storage space. He didn't really have a lot of external drive to be able to put his footage. And so Apple actually partnered with the YouTube channel, Fro Knows Photo, ran by Jared Polin, and actually gave this young man a bunch of new Apple equipment so he can continue making films. They gave him a Mac Studio, 14-inch MacBook Pro, studio display to go with that Mac Studio. Even gave him an iPhone, a HomePod mini, Magic Keyboard, and trackpad. So really cool. Apple giving this to a young filmmaker, and he was definitely excited. You know, he was on, on the verge of tears, cried when he received it. And so really cool that Apple does that. I, I do think it's interesting of all those like pro devices, like the Mac Studio, Studio Display, MacBook Pro, that the only speaker Apple can give this young man <laughs> is a HomePod mini, because that's really the only speaker that Apple sells right now. I mean, I guess he could have given them AirPods Mac, but... <laughs> they did throw in uh, 24 terabyte storage that they don't make. Uh, so, yeah, they could have bought a Sonos with a new intelligent Siri-like speaker. And they could have done more, couldn't they? But they did a huge amount. It was very yeah. sweet to watch it, yes. Yeah, it was. Very nice. So Mike Peterson, he had a fun article talking about the future of foldable devices. That will we ever see a foldable iPhone or will it be more likely a foldable iPad or even MacBook? I think this is interesting only because yesterday, William, just yesterday, I was talking to somebody. They went to take down my email. They pulled their phone out of their pocket and they flipped it open. And it was one of those Samsung flips. I think I don't even know. I don't know exactly what model it was because I don't know them that well. 
but I actually saw a foldable phone in the wild, William. Yes. Uh, I saw the crease in the middle of the screen, and that was off-putting, but but it was there. They exist out there. The same here. I'm working with a woman who has a foldable Samsung, and I don't know well enough to ask more, and I saw it when we were working together in the workshop, but I was not close enough to see, is the screen working or not? But it, she seems very happy with it. It looked very good from afar, but you're telling me it still creases up. Yeah, I'm put off too. I mean, it's very subtle. You know, I was off angle because I was watching the guy put in my email address. And so I I could just see tiny little, not like a line. There wasn't anything visually, but you could just see kind of the indentation because I mean, the thing folds, Mm -hmm. you know, it's got to have some kind of material (laughs) that will allow it to fold. But Mike in this article is talking about, you know, is it a better chance that we might see foldable iPads or foldable MacBooks, which again, you could say MacBooks fold right now, but the idea being that it'd be kind of a full touchscreen device with a virtual keyboard and it would, you know, fold together. I don't know, William. I, I was talking the other day about 3D televisions and how that was a whole fad and then it just kind of disappeared. Yeah. And I know people are saying that like foldable phones are it, like they're going to be the thing, the next thing for smartphones and all that. And I'm just not convinced yet, William. I'm not convinced that foldable phones is where we want to go. I kind of miss the old flip phones. If you In the olden days, if you're having a row with somebody on a landline, you could slam that phone down. And with flip phones, at least you could crunch <laughs> it like you're doing something. But with an iPhone, it's like, never talk to me again. Boop. It's the smallest little thing. And I, I want that physical action back. But when you say that about 3D television, yeah, 3D television, 3D films, it's like every few years it comes into fashion and it fails and it goes away again. Maybe this will be the same. But I can't wait to see this person I'm working with again and ask her more. Yeah, you should, you should ask him. I've seen actually probably two total. I've seen two total foldable phones in the wild. And, you know, it is compact in the pocket. And when you bring it out, it is a big screen. So, you know, maybe. Uh, okay. Hang on. So a moment ago, you'd seen one. And then because I'd seen one. No, no, you've seen two. And things. I see that this is built. <laughs> yeah, up. yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. No, no. I, I just remembered. It yeah. just came up. Okay. <laughs> just came to my mind. Just came to my mind. So Tony Fidel, who was who worked at Apple, was on the teams for the first iPod and iPhone, then went on to do Nest, the thermostats, before they were bought by Google. He had an interview with John Fort of CNBC to promote his new book called Build, where he talks a lot about the behind the scenes of the product development of those first iPods and iPhones. And he said some things that we kind of knew before that when the iPod was coming out, Steve Jobs did not want to make iTunes for Windows, and it actually took uh, Tony Fidel bringing in journalist Walt Mossberg, who, you know, ran the uh, the All Things D conference with Kara Swisher, then went on to do Recode at The Verge and all that. But Walt Mossberg is actually the one that helped convince Steve Jobs to bring iTunes to Windows, which you could argue was a big reason why those early iPods were a huge success, because you could get it and sync it with whatever computer you had. Talked about Firewire and how that was the only standard that could provide the fast syncing that Apple wanted to do at that point. And it was interesting, Tony Fidel actually tweeted an image of some of the concept devices they were working on around that time, kind of the iPod, but before the iPhone era. And they actually had an iPod Nano that was all screen. It was like basically a mini iPod Touch or a mini iPhone, you could say. And that was actually one of the concept devices that they were working on, which if you remember, there was, I think it was dubbed the iPod Mini, but it had a touchscreen and a click wheel. If I'm remembering correctly, like eventually they did come out with a device like that. But this all screen like iPod Nano is, uh, is pretty interesting. I quite fancy that book now you've said it. Um, 
I'll look into that one. Yeah, I've been wanting to read that. It's Build by Tony Fidel. And yeah, there was, oh no, I'm sorry. There, it was an iPod Nano. It had a home button and it did have a touch screen with kind of like that proprietary OS. And so they eventually did come out with a Nano with a screen, but it wasn't that full screen Nano that this uh, prototype looks like. So yeah, that book is Build by Tony Fidel. And then another book, this is Trip Mickle wrote the book After Steve, How Apple Became a Trillion Dollar Company and Lost Its Soul. Pretty, pretty <laughs> negative title on Apple right there. But this book it talks a lot about Johnny Ive, his history at the company, and why he left the company eventually. And the book talks about how Ive resigned after years of frustration, seeing the company migrate from a design-centric entity to one that was more utilitarian. Apparently, Ive showed the movie yesterday to his team as he was leaving the company and believed that that movie yesterday was a two-hour exploration of the eternal conflict between art and commerce. And, you know, it's, this is one of those things that we, obviously Johnny Ive comes up a lot when you talk about Apple devices and the era kind of from 2015, where that was kind of the last MacBook Pro that had ports because the 2016 MacBook Pros and later just had USB-C and nothing else until just recently, the 2021 version of the MacBook Pro that has HDMI and you have MagSafe brought back, you have the SD card slot. And we kind of think of that era as when Johnny Ive kind of went full Ive, we'll say, and really wanted to just get rid of all the ports, go as thin as possible to the, I think, sacrifice of some of the utilitarian, like necessary use cases of those devices. And so, you know, obviously Johnny Ive's incredible designer. It was from his mind. We have the iconic products like the iPhone and the iPad. You know, he was head product and software designer for a while there. Yeah, it's interesting to see now the products that Apple is making, like the Mac Studio, the latest MacBook Pro, with that utilitarian uh, feeling kind of behind the scenes. And as I had Jason Snell on the show recently, and we talked about the Mac Studio, and you know he described the Mac Studio as a homely device, meaning it's not super attractive in its design, but it's not really meant to be. It's meant to be utilitarian. But I do think that Apple has struck a balance between really beautiful design, like you look at the 24-inch iMac with M1, that's a beautiful computer. I imagine the updated MacBook Air when it comes out is going to be incredible. You look at the iPad mini and the iPhone 13, like these are great designs. They are beautiful devices made with premium materials and all that. And then for product lines that really would use more utilitarian ports and functionality, I think Apple is making the right choices there in things like the Mac Studio. And I imagine the coming Mac Pro possibly at WWDC. What do you think, William? Does Apple still have its design touch along with its utilitarian nature? The Mac Studio is just a bit ugly. That's what I think. But I still want one. (laughs) You're not even saying homely. You just said outright ugly. No, all the way. I'm not saying it's as bad as... I, I used to work in a magazine where the art desk and the production desk, they had a, a one spare Mac, and I had to use it one day, hot desk thing. And as I sat down at it, the, every single art and production person in the desk watched to see how long until he hates the the mouse. It was the um, the original iMac with the, the hockey puck mouse. Uh, instantaneously wrong in every possible way and horrible to use. And I don't think that of the Mac Studio. I just think it's a bit... Mm. <laughs> I mean, mm. it's a block mm. of aluminum with ports in it. Mm. That's all it is. <laughs> 
But ultimately, isn't any computer just that? Well, that was meant to be profound, and you just know. Yeah, yeah, I was. I mean, the iMac is not. It's aluminum, but it's very colorful. That's true. I, I mean, I feel like Apple just bring if it brought colors to things. I think that would make a big difference, especially on the Pro devices, like the MacBook Pro. Yeah, the new one that everybody loves. If they had done colors, people would have gone nuts. Like, still do the gray, space gray options, but if they had a blue, yes, and even like. I don't know, a green, like it could still look professional. Like the machine itself looks professional. It's got an SD card slot and an HDMI port. And I think colors would really just add to it. I think Apple just needs to to get off the pro devices are gray, consumers are colored. I think if they just make colored devices everywhere, I think people would be happy about it. I'd have bought color for my 14-inch MacBook Pro if I could, but I'm sorry, my mind's yeah. going to the production line problem for that. Juggling, you know, That's seven true. different colors of things and that, and the, the SKUs for it, and just what if everybody yeah. wants blue and nobody wants green, how you adjust that. I mean, the whole production thing is terribly fascinating. Anyway, but that would just be adding deep complexity to it. You're you're being harsh on poor old Apple who just try to get a job done. Well, and Tim Cook, you know, being the supply chain COO at heart, mm. the operating officer, I imagine he's like, you know, optimize for getting these products out the door. You know, if you can't offer colors on the MacBook Pro, so be it. So I, you know, I get it. I get it. I think colors in the new MacBook Air would go a long way. That's all yes, I'll say. Yes, absolutely. I do agree. Yeah. All right. Well, you got anything else, William? It was, it was a little tiny bit of a shorter show because it's not really not big news here. I mean, well, funny if the one thing that's been on my mind, it just popped back into my head when you were saying that, when I said that about different colors and production things, as we record this, there seemed to have been a sudden delay uh, on shipping for the Mac Studio, the MacBook Pro, um, and maybe for the studio display. I didn't look into it until I heard about the delay, so I don't know what they used to be. But right now, if you order a studio display today, it'll be t- delivered through eight and ten weeks and i think the worst situation is um if you configure an m1 ultra it's 10 to 12 weeks so three months before you get that machine there's only the 16 inch macbook pro that you could actually buy uh today and get today and even then actually only the base configuration add anything change anything and it's about a month delay for it this is the kind of thing we see when these devices are first announced and it's like the initial demand is is flooding the orders and presumably a pent-up demand has been sated now so i'm not sure why this is going on unless it's supply problems maybe chip shortages any i think i think it's supply chain overall uh, i'm looking right now at the studio display i can pick up in store a regular studio display base model july 20. So that's over two months away. So yeah, eight to 10 weeks. And then the shipping is also eight to 10 weeks. So yeah, it's a, it's a long way away. Yeah, I think it's actually getting worse. It's one of those things where you start looking into something and by the time you've finished, it's worse than when you started. So order now if you want it in whatever three yeah. months from now is. Yeah. <laughs> actually, serious point though. I, I know WWDC is traditionally software and the way it always works is on the build-up. People say, there's going to be hardware this year and then there isn't and everybody says, well, of course there weren't. It was going to be software. We always knew that. But if there's ever going to be hardware at a WWDC, it'll be this one because it marks the end of the two-year transition. Absolutely. If that's true and if something is possibly going to come out, you could order a brand new Mac now and it wouldn't be delivered until after WWDC. <laughs> and you could come to regret your decision should you now wait 
to see or will it be worse like you've got to buy eventually you can't not work on you know, pause your work until right. you get the right moment but it's a difficult decision a different time to make a decision now. well and honestly if something comes out at wwdc and pre-orders are that week if you order it right then as soon as it goes on sale you will probably get that before you <laughs> something you yes. order today <laughs> yes. Like you would probably get whatever Mac Pro before you would get a Mac Studio that you ordered right now. So right. something to keep in mind. All right, well, listeners, let us know. Shoot, uh, shoot us questions. Maybe for next week's show, we'd love to answer kind of some uh, frequently asked questions. Ask us anything. You can tweet at William and myself. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Keep those five-star reviews coming. We appreciate those. Next week, are you going to have Wes on the show? Uh, in which case, yes. Ask us any questions. Ask all the difficult questions. Absolutely all of them. Pile them in for next week. Uh-huh. Okay. And if you have questions about William's Wikipedia page, send those in and we'll do it in two weeks. <laughs> two weeks from right now. We'll answer all your wikipedia questions very fun and you can support the show directly in apple Podcasts or at patreon.com slash apple insider where you get an ad-free version of the show early access discord channel all of that thank you to all of our supporters who do that already and of course thank you for oh and you can check out HomeKit insider new episode comes out monday we talk a lot about the sonos voice assistant the amazon voice assistant stuff so check that out link in show notes to HomeKit insider as well thanks for tuning in we'll catch you next time